This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, where we will help you learn to invest in around about 15 minutes or less. <laughs> we break down the world of investing from beginning to dividends so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. How are you? Just put a little caveat in there. Yeah, we, we probably cracked half an hour in our last episode, so yeah. I don't know if we can <laughs> say 15 minutes or less. No, so, um, yeah, caveat around about 15 yeah, minutes until yeah. I come up with a poem that really... <laughs> I'm, I'm still a fan of 15 minutes or more, but... You know. <laughs> Doesn't quite have the ring to it. No, no. You started a section on our website called Ask Us Anything, which has just absolutely blown up over the last <laughs> three, three weeks since we went live with it. Yeah. Section where we're encouraging our listeners to ask us a question online and then... The last episode of every month, we will do our best to answer those questions. So this week, Ren, it's the last episode of the month, and we've got some questions to answer. We do. We do. And we're going to caveat on that. This is our opinions on this, and obviously not uh, the gospel, and we have no (laughs) intentions of giving advice on, on anything here. This is just what we think in answer to the questions, and obviously you should do your own research. So let's get stuck in, I guess. Yeah, let's let's do it. Question one from Michael came through. Do you feel it's too late to invest in cryptocurrency? Is it the future of currency or would you stick to equity investments? What's your answer to this, Ren? Well, I, I've got a bit of a waffle answer, so I think you, oh. you should answer first. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Look, my answer to this, and, and this is obviously my opinion. Look, the bubble on Bitcoin has certainly burst from the highs that we were at in January or December, January. Um, so if you're if you're trying to catch that, um, then I would say directly it's probably too late. But look, longer term, the future of currency, yes, it's probably going to be hanging around, and and there's there's technology and, and stuff out there that is using the the blockchain itself. But in terms of cryptocurrency, it's super hard to tell what what it, its uh, utility is going to be moving forward. And to be honest, I don't really keep an eye on the cryptocurrency market. I don't have a finger on the pulse. And personally, I'm, I, I am sticking to equities and I have no interest at the moment in, in cryptocurrency. 
mainly because I spend most of my time looking at, at equity investments. So I don't really have a comment in terms of is it the future of currency? I don't know enough about it at this stage to answer that. What do you have to say, Ren? So quickly, I think it's not, I don't, I don't think it will ever be the currency of the future in the sense that Bitcoin will be the currency. Yeah. Uh, elements of it might be taken over by national banks. So, you know, using uh, blockchains and stuff, blockchain and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, a currency is pretty important for political reasons and economic reasons for the government of the day, and they will defend it pretty strongly. In saying that, the way I think about crypto is the way I think about sort of major technological changes more generally. And there's, this, there's a really good book on it, Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital by Carlotta Perez. So uh, put that on your reading list if you haven't heard of it. But essentially, she, she, her, she talks about how te- technological revolutions always happen in two phases. There's the installation phase and then the deployment phase. And the installation phase is when this new technology is introduced and there's all this potential and there's all this hype. And what happens is this big financial bubble is created. Then the hysteria sort of ends, the bubble bursts in most cases. And then what you come out into is a deployment phase where rather than all this hype and all this promise, the technology then actually is utilized and deployed. And so the classic example of that is when you think about the first tech boom in the late 90s, that, that was the installation phase as people, this revolution in personal computing uh, was sort of taking the world by storm, but all the companies were based on hype, bubble burst. And now what we're seeing is this deployment phase over the last 15 years where companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook have actually used this technology to create real economic value. And Perez goes back, she talks about like railways, steel and electricity, Uh, the automobile and information technology and talks about how all of these new technologies have followed similar trajectories, this installation phase and then a financial bubble crash and then the deployment phase. So when when I think about crypto, I think we probably have a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. that what we saw over the last, you know, three or four years was this installation phase where everyone sort of got their head around what blockchain was and sort of thought about all these uses for it. And there was a lot of hype. And now we've seen this financial bubble burst. But I think what we're going to see is the next step with crypto is the deployment phase, where rather than these like, you know, pie in the sky ideas and hype, we're actually going to see companies try and utilize this technology for a particular end. And we might see actual value created from the underlying technology. And so I think there is definitely going to be winners and definitely going to be big companies and probably big coins that win out of this. You know, there will be the Amazons and stuff that rise from the wreckage of this financial crash. Mm. But what coins they are and how they are used, I think is still an open question. No one knows, yeah. So if is it wanna, too late? If you want to think about, well, it's too late for most coins, I would say. Yeah. Similar to your pets.com and stuff from your first tech uh, boom. Yeah. But I think keep an eye out for the companies that are actually using crypto for a economically uh, like a value creating end rather than just you know the long island iced tea company changing their name to the long island blockchain company <laughs> yeah. to get a stock price bump look look yeah. for companies that are actually using this technology in meaningful ways because they're probably going to be the ones that arise in this deployment phase um, but if you want to think about technology more generally i would definitely recommend that book technological revolutions and financial capital 
Good answer. Yeah, I told you it was going to be waffly, so aren't you glad that I let you get in first? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's I, I promise you that's the most waffly answer I have today. All right, good. Because otherwise, okay, so, otherwise we definitely wouldn't stick to 15 minutes or less. No way. <laughs> so, so, good question, Michael. Thanks for, thanks for writing in. The next one has come from Sasha. She said, is there an Australian derivatives market? Is there an Australian equivalent of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange for those looking to dabble in this form of investing? And if so, how does one access it? Bit of research into this. And the equivalent for the Chicago Mercantile Exchange or Mercantile, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, uh, is the Sydney Futures Exchange. It used to be the futures market, um, but it's now merged with the ASX. I think the ASX bought it out or, or something along those lines. And so now it's the interest rate index and commodity futures, and then they're traded via what's known as the ASX24. So if you want more information on that, uh, you can just head to the ASX website and uh, ASX futures and, and check it out. I don't know if you have too much more to yeah. add to that. So maybe just for people who are unfamiliar, a, a derivative is a, like, it's a financial instrument that gets its value from, like it, its value derives from an under the price of an underlying asset. So the main ones are sort of agricultural commodities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wheat and rice and barley have value. And then the financial instruments that you trade derive their value from these underlying assets. So in most cases, it's futures contracts. Yeah. So you're trading for, um, you know, the, price. the price of wheat in the future. In Chicago, there's a bunch more derivative markets than there are in Australia including a Bitcoin derivative market, if you're interested. In Australia, the main ones that we trade, uh, you're right, it was ASX24. I think this it's now like ASX NTP, but index derivatives, so the futures of stock prices, sectors, volatility, mm-hmm. stuff like that, interest rate derivatives. Uh, there's five different types of commodity or like grain derivatives traded in Australia yeah. and then energy derivatives. But, you know, overseas there's derivative markets on anything i guess in terms of would should someone uh who's looking to invest uh dabble in these markets my initial thought would be no just because when you think about who's on the other side of these trades um your whatever futures contract you're buying or selling there's someone on the other side of that trade who probably knows more yeah. Than you, especially if you're just someone like us who's just at home doing it in their spare time, um, and also, in, you know, unless you're involved in the industry, unless you are familiar with what causes these prices to move, there's just a real informational disadvantage that we're at. Like, you know, there's a there's like an Eastern Australian wheat der- derivative, like, and then there's a separate market for Western Australian wheat. Like, I'm not gonna know what causes price movements in those markets and like how different wheat producers and users like arbitrage between those two markets like it is just something that we're not going to be able to trade as well so my initial thought would be no put your money into something that uh is a is is you know put it into a company or an index which holds a bunch of companies where their whole purpose in life is to create shareholder value and they hire people to create shareholder value um, and your your shares appreciate that way rather than trying to make a bet on the price of a commodity or index mm. or whatever in the future. I think it's just a not as safe way of trading. If you're a professional, if you're more experienced, go for your life. But as a beginner, I wouldn't. No, something very specialized. 
definitely yeah. worth having a look at and understanding what derivatives are and how the markets work. But yeah, in terms of giving it a crack, obviously we're not saying no, don't, don't if you feel like it. But yeah, it, it's very, uh, you, need to, you need to know a lot. And be careful because you can very quickly fall into trading more than you have. Mm. Um, Leveraged. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, Sasha, hopefully that has answered your question. We'll move on to one that's come in from Brendan. He says, earlier in the year, I was looking at uh, investing in ETFs to further diversify my portfolio. In my strategy, I like businesses that offer a reinvestment plan or have a growing dividend that will be reinvested back into the market. Uh, on the Comsec app, all ETFs I looked at had no dividends. What happens with the dividends from businesses inside the fund? If it does pay the dividends, does it come directly from the business? If not, is it reflected in the price? Good question. What are your thoughts on this, Ren? Yeah, so um, ETFs pay out dividends. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that Comsec is saying that. I, re- I reckon it might be a mistake in their app or you may have been looking at particular ETFs that didn't pay dividends. Yes. So when you think about your ETF, just really think about it as a, a basket in which you're putting the underlying stocks or a, mm-hmm. you know, like a wrapper that's wrapping up the underlying stocks that you're actually holding. It's just a vehicle for you to hold what is inside the ETF. So what do I mean by that? If it's a gold ETF, you're, the ETF is the basket in which you've just put a bunch of gold. So the gold doesn't pay dividends. Gold, the gold's price just moves, so that ETF won't pay out dividends. No. But if you have a ASX 200 ETF that has the biggest 200 companies in Australia in it, then you will get about 4% a year in dividends, and, and that will get paid out generally quarterly, depending on the ETF, sometimes monthly. And then one, the one other thing is that if the ETF, if the ETF holds something that doesn't pay dividends it can still pay out money. So what I mean by that is, for example, there are bond ETFs. Technically, they don't pay out dividends. They pay out um, interest on the bond. But you you know, at the end of the day, uh, it might be different tax-wise, but it's money in your account. Yeah, if the underlying asset generates an income, then that income will be distributed. So let's give it a practical example. Say your ETF has five companies in it, underlying stocks in it that all pay dividends each and on a quarterly basis and let's say they all pay a dollar each so the etf owns 10 shares of each of those dividend paying stocks so the total dividends earned by the etf would be 50 dollars a quarter so then what the etf does is distribute that 50 dollars among all of the owners in the etf so the investor who say owns 10 shares in that etf would earn a quarterly dividend payment of five dollars since he obviously owns or she 10% of the ETF, they have a right to 10% of the total dividends earned within that ETF based on the dividends paid by the underlying securities. So yes, they do pay dividends. And it's a a great tool that a lot of people talk about, um, like Mr. Moustache. I'm not sure if anyone follows his blog, but he's a big proponent. Mr. Money Moustache? Mr. Money Moustache, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Moustache is is a hair grooming podcast. (laughs) Uh, he talks about finding ETFs that pay, you know, four or five percent, and just sitting large sums of cash in there, and using that four or five percent as your your um, supplementary income. So, yes, they do pay dividends, and and that's sort of how it happens. Yeah, definitely. Hope that answered the question. Yeah, and just I, I think were, part of the question was about reinvesting. Um, you, there some ETFs offer dividend reinvestment, uh, others don't. Just it, 
just Google it. It should um when you know when you decide on an ETF, Google it. It should say if it does or not and how you yeah. can apply for it. Yeah. So another question from Jason. I wanted to ask your opinion on the cycle of the stock market. In your opinions, what sectors are historically best to look at and potentially buy into when the market is heading down and subsequently when a bear market is coming to an end? How do you time this? What should you look for, etc.? Yes. Now, I blame you for this question because all your bearish talk is, you know, <laughs> priming people. Um, uh, nah, look, nah. my first answer to this is, and sort of screen wheels, is don't try to time the market. Yeah. You're not going to be able to. You don't have a crystal ball when it comes to investing. No one knows with certainty sort of what the stock market or economy is going to be doing. So especially over short periods of time, um, so that, that my first answer to this question is don't try and time the market um, when you're going to try and pick the bottom and, and then subsequently choose stocks uh, to reflect re- reflect that. I mean, obviously, it's good to be thinking about these things and thinking how that you can uh, construct a portfolio based on the sort of stage of cycle that we are in, both business and you know, economic and, and stock cycle. But trying to pick it is a very dangerous game. I'm sure you would agree with that, Ren. Yeah, definitely. I think... Yeah, if if there's one thing and um, is no one times the market perfectly. Um, I think I gave my Druck at Stanley Druckenmiller example a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Where, like this guy is an unbelievable investor, seriously smart dude, nailed the call, was right that technology was a massive bubble, but didn't time it right and just bled for a couple of years on the back of it. Mm. So if he's not going to pick it, I don't think we will and I... If, if our listeners do, good on them. They're better better investors than we are. Um, yeah. So my answer to this question was, if you think you're getting towards the end of the cycle, don't, yeah, don't try and time the market, as you said. There's probably three approaches you can take. Or four, if you include just going to cash. But that's, that's essentially just trying to time the market as well. Yeah. No yeah. offense, mate. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just trying to time the market in a different way and i guess like it does give you more optionality and you don't have to be exactly right but um you know as you've probably experienced over the last year you do miss out on on the gains as it keeps climbing Mm -hmm. but sorry sidetracked um the three things that i would look at are um so you can look at counter cyclical assets and i'll explain what that is in a sec um you can look at active managers who should be able to manage the downturn. Um, and then the third approach, which is probably the one that we talk about the most, is just buying and holding through whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. So counter-cyclical is, I mean, gold's your classic example, bonds to a certain extent, but really they're just assets that will go down when, uh, sorry, go up when the market goes down. And Bryce, you're probably going to want to talk about ETF, uh, inverse ETFs. Yeah, which I'm really not a fan of, but I'll um, do. Do you want to? If you want to give it a spiel, I'll. I mean, it doesn't meet. It doesn't need too much um, discussion. We we all know what they are. They're ETFs that obviously perform uh, in inverse to the the index. So if you're, you know, if you have a uh, an NDQ, for example, goes up when the Nasdaq goes up, but then you can have a an inverse ETF for the Nasdaq, for example, that. Um, goes up in price when the Nasdaq uh, goes down. So very straightforward. And I think they're a good tool to have ready 
um, at your disposal to, to put into your portfolio if you're confident enough that over the, a, a shorter period of time or it doesn't really matter on the time that you, you, you can sort of understand the movement of an index. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess, I guess for me, you're either, there's really two ways you can play it. They, the, you, you either have them in your portfolio for a, over a long time and then markets generally over the long term go up. So if you're, you've got the inverse ETF in your portfolio for a long time, it's just count, it's eating into your, your gains like your yeah. um but then and then the other way you can play it is as a short term buy when you expect the market is going to go down but then you're really just walking back into timing the market territory and, absolutely um, so that that's yeah. why i'm not a massive fan of them i like don't get me wrong people use them well and that's that's all good and well but it's just my i personally will, probably won't but you know there's no right way to do this no so that, yeah, that that's the first one, counter cyclical assets. Second yeah. one is active managers. So yeah, if you if you own if you're holding just ETFs, then your if if the market falls fifty percent, um, then your ETF will fall fifty percent as well. But what you would hope with some active managers, the better active managers, is that if the market falls fifty percent, that they've done the work to pick the right stocks and position set up their portfolio in the right way that they won't hurt as badly so you know the market might fall 50% and the the good active managers might only lose 20% instead so um, that's really when active managers should come into their own when markets are really tough uh, anyone can make money in a bull market in a bull market yeah but uh, if if you're looking to protect your downside active managers may be a way to do that when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW. And then the third one, which we always talk about and which has sort of proven itself over the long time is buying and holding. You know, mm-hmm. the the stat that was trotted out recently was, um, so Lehman Brothers collapsed on a Monday. If you bought on that Friday before the Monday, in the first six months, so so if you just bought like the broad American market, the S and P five hundred, 
In the first six months, you would have lost 46% of your wealth or of your investment. You would have almost lost half. But if you just held on, you would today have made over 185%. So from that Friday to now, you would have almost doubled your money. But, you know, within that first six months, you would have almost lost half. So uh, over and over again, buy and hold proves to be a pretty good strategy, even if you literally bought the Friday before the JFC. So, <laughs> um, I guess the lesson in that one, though, is if you're going to go in for that strategy, just make sure you know you have the temperament to actually hold because six months of cont- downhill slugging that out would have been very emotionally draining if you had kept an eye on it. If you just closed your eyes and, and not looked at it, then it would have been okay. But Yeah, yeah. and Interesting. It's funny because you know how everyone sort of looks at the JFC and they're like, Damn it, I wish I was an investor then. Like, perfect buying opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I was listening to some stuff recently where they were talking about what it was like investing in 2008, 2009, 2010. And, like, everyone was freaking out. You know, the bank, the, the global financial system had almost collapsed. And everyone was talking about, you know, a double dip recession or like something that rivaled the Great Depression. It was, it was really hard, not just to hold as the market went down. But to have any confidence as the market started to go back up again, because just everyone was sort of, you know, doom and gloom. This is this is terrible. Like this isn't over. So yeah, you're right. Like you need some serious temperament to stay in there. So uh, the other part of this question, Ren, was to do with the stock market cycle and industry uh, sectors that have historically performed or that perform better in, or worse in depending on what sort of stage you are in the cycle. So in my mind, there's sort of four stages of, of the business cycle. You've got early, mid, late, and then recession. Um, and then depending on that stage, obviously the economic activity and the response to economic activity from central banks particularly changes and their sort of actions definitely have impact on, on stocks. So first I want to, this is US data, but uh, I, had, I had a look and there's a, if you're looking at sectors and the sort of a scorecard of sectors, so through seven declines, um, there are certain sectors that finish above overall market return. And the number one and two are consumer staples and utilities. So through all seven declines, um, consumer staples finished above the S&P 500 return seven out of seven times. So did utilities seven out of seven times. And then Healthcare and telecom were six out of seven, respectively, as well. So those are some industries that have historically performed better in a decline. Consumer staples is always one that comes up because, obviously, people got to eat. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably something to do with the companies that make up those sectors. So in America, when you think of consumer staples, it's, you know, your Walmarts, your, your, uh, your big supermarkets, your big hardware stores that... Your big, your big retail chains that are just pretty strong defensive companies. So let's just quickly look at the each stage, and this is some research that we found online. So in the early cycle stage, um, you know, credit is growing, uh, monetary policy is e- easing, interest rates are falling. There's a lot of liquidity. 
Uh, and so, you know, corporate earnings are strong. Consumers are spending a lot of their disposable income. So best sectors to consider are consumer cyclicals and the financials. Then we move into the mid stage of the business cycle. And this is typically the longest phase. Um, the economy is stronger, but growth is sort of moderating, slowing down a little. Interest rates are at their lowest. Corporate earnings are their strongest. So it, good sectors to look at then are, you know, industrials, IT um, materials. And then we head into late cycle where economic growth is starting to slow and it begins to appear overheated as inflation climbs higher and stock prices begin to look a bit more expensive compared to some of their sort of key ratios. So then best sectors in this phase are looking at energy, utilities, healthcare, consumer staples, as we just spoke about. And then as recession hits, your economic activity and corporate profits are in decline. But also, importantly, interest rates are climbing as the reserve banks try to fight off inflation. So best sectors in this phase include, um, you know, the late sort of stage cycle, typically, <clears throat> well, probably no no uh, sectors in, in a recession. But as we just said, consumer staples, utility, healthcare are ones that generally perform better in a declining market. So uh, that just gives you a general yeah vibe i uh, i think the thing to take away is that different sectors perform better at different stages in the business cycle for a di- number of different reasons but mm. what you probably don't want to be doing is trying to jump between sectors throughout the business cycle um yeah there's nothing wrong with allocating to uh more growth orientated stocks after a recession and then towards more defensive stocks towards the end that that's a pretty standard strategy that has worked for lots of people over a long period of time but trying to time the different stages of the business cycle and jump between sectors at each stage becomes difficult okay so final final question so that was a a good one from jason and we can just briefly touch on this one ren it's from jeremy so he says i can't find any advice or tips on which specific etf to choose right now and how to go about choosing a specific etf in the current environment there is plenty of info on what is an ETF, but nothing I can find on how, e.g. certain macro or cyclical conditions influencing ETF selection. Yes, they're generally designed for a long-term investment and to ride through various cycles, but clearly there are more narrow ETFs to look at right now and ones to perhaps avoid, and timing should be considered. I guess the two the two things that I'd probably say are di- like have a diverse... Have a broad range of ETFs that you're interested in. You don't need to pick the perfect sector and you're never going to get the perfect time as we sort of have touched on before. So industries that you're interested in, industries that you think will grow, but then just broad market ETFs in a range of different countries as well. Um, So I think the first one is have a broad range. And then the second thing is uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Just... (laughs) You'd One not, of your favourite sayings. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, I think it, I think it applies in investing. Everyone tries to pick the perfect stock, or mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. case, the perfect ETF at the perfect time, and it just it, it isn't that important to to nail it and get it a hundred percent right in terms of timing. You know, yeah. And if you pick an ETF that returns eight percent this year, and there was another ETF that returned nine percent, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna lose sleep over it. That well, hopefully you're not. Um. It's just about it's about being in there in ter- in terms of the actual practical. Where do I find like a list of ETFs that I can start researching? Um, I mean, your oh, we'll brokers website, yeah, uh, Google ETF.com. 
um, just that really the internet is has made this more accessible than ever before. It is just a matter of getting lost in a, a sort of Google hole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the main thing is if you're spending your time trying to pick the perfect ETF at the perfect time, you're probably wasting your time. I think, yeah, no one's going to be able to tell you the the exact how because with all things investing, it's it's really a personal thing. And so you need to actually develop a hypothesis of, of what you think the world is doing and where you think things are going before you can then actually look at narrow ETFs. As Jeremy talks here, yeah, you can go broad ETF and not necessarily worry about that. But if you're particularly wanting to go narrow ETFs, I'm talking, say, like a, an ETF that's in gold or an ETF that's in oil or other sort of uh, assets that are more specific, then you need to be able to understand it within yourself why why you're buying this. And so that really, no one can really tell you that. That can re- really only just comes down from signing up to our thought starters on Monday and getting a whole <laughs> bunch of material, but also just doing a lot of reading. You've got to develop an understanding of where we are in the business cycle, read widely, understand how markets work, how sectors behave, the interplay between assets and that sort of stuff. And then you can start going and finding ETFs that suit your hypothesis. Otherwise, um, yeah, you will be putting money into things that if you don't understand, and, and I'm talking narrow ETFs here, if you don't understand how those assets and, and sectors and markets behave, then you're doing yourself a disservice. No one can tell you the answer. I think you need to go out there and, and find it. But in saying that, there are plenty of ETFs out there, particularly in the United States, that you can buy through stake. You know, there's thousands and thousands of them that will fit almost any hypothesis. So I think the main answer to this question is you've got to develop your own hypothesis first. And that's something that you can take advice and a lot of experience and stuff from many of the professional investors out there and their blogs and stuff, but you need to develop it yourself. So that's it, Ren. Nice one. All right. Well, I think we have thoroughly answered those five questions. Yeah. Um, if anyone else has questions, they can chuck them up on our website uh, or they can hit us up via email or social media and we'll do this again in a month's time. Yeah, nice one. Ask us anything. Yeah, anything. Doesn't even have to be investing related. No. <laughs> if, if you want to know how, if you want to know my thoughts on how the Sydney Swans will do in 2019, I'll happily answer it. That would be a good one. Maybe I'll, no, I'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, good to chat, Ren. I hope we answered all those questions. And yeah, as you said, uh, feel free for anyone to jump on and hit us up on our website, social media, and we'll do our best to answer. And and if we can't, you know, we've got a reasonable network now of professionals that we could probably lean on and get some uh, answers for that from them. So we'll do everything we can to ensure that um, we answer in the best way possible. So as always, Ren, good to chat. We'll yeah. talk next week. I'll see you then. Hello, mates of Equity Mates. Or I guess that just makes you Equity Mates. Anyway, it's Bryce here. One of the most frequently asked questions we get is, where do we find information about all these stocks and and where's a good place to start? Now, we could do a whole episode on this and we often do touch on it, but the best place to start is by signing up to our Thought Starters weekly email. Each week, we send you some cool stuff that has caught our eye during the week, as well as some more detailed articles on stocks and invested relating content. We also include Basics 101. These are articles tailored specifically for beginners to really propel you on your way. We don't spam you. I mean, we hate spam. It's once a week and there's enough stuff in there to occupy you for a full day of browsing at work. Now, Ren puts a lot of effort into finding quality articles for you guys. So if anything, just sign up so he feels the love. Head to equitymates.com and chuck in your email at the bottom of the page. 
Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.